Hey everyone, this week we have Kate doing an amazing interview with the awesome Laura Good. If you're Googling her, the last name is G-O-O-D-E. Um, Laura is a writer, a producer, and general badass mom. And it's so cool to hear her just have a girly chat with Kate about just about everything. Um, motherhood, naked selfies, the feminism found in Lifetime movies, and much more over what sounds like some really delicious bubbly so uh definitely enjoy this episode it'll be great you'll learn a lot about laura learn about what all the things that she's passionate about and you'll have a lot of chuckles in the midst so enjoy this episode of go ahead mama today i am talking to my friend laura good who is a pretty brilliant writer and all-around delightful smart person um she also has a baby. Well, he's not really a baby he's a anymore. He's a giant human being, uh, like your quote-unquote baby. Yeah, we have monster we children. We have monster <laughs> children. Like tiny letties, yeah. just we like scarf running Laura. around petting rabbits to death because they don't know their own <laughs> Did monster kids do that? No. Okay. That would be horrible. I wouldn't joke about that. <laughs> I don't know. It's Easter, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's Easter season. Don't buy pets for your children. Don't do it. Don't do it. What I really want to hear about is this article that you have coming out that, like, you have been putting your soul into. It's been a process. It's been a deep process. So, yeah. um, so tell me about this BuzzFeed article. It's been a journey. It's been a journey of six weeks. It's been a journey of 20 years. It's been, <laughs> it's been the vessel in which, into which I've finally been able to place my love for lifetime television for women, which apparently like apart from me, no one has ever really defended lifetime except for Roxanne Gay, who like is obviously like extremely That's important, really incredible. Yeah. And I think it was because she was always tweeting about lifetime movies that I, Reexamine the fact that I had always like engaged them with them and loved them and like found them like compulsively watchable. And I started to think about it and I was like, there's just like a feminist, you know, I'm not in it to make like a, an argument, like a feminist argument for every airtime minute lifetime has ever produced. But I think that there's at least a feminist conversation to be had about what they've produced that we haven't really had because the critical dismissal of lifetime has been so broad. Um, that was my thumbnail on the wine glass. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was interested in kind of making that inquiry. That's excellent. So how much Lifetime have you watched over the last six weeks? Over the last six weeks? Like, th- hundreds of hours. Like, like, let's see. Let's try to quantify. I've watched at least 10 to 15 films. I've watched the entire Client List series, which I totally recommend the two seasons of The Client List, oh. starring Jennifer Love Hewitt That's... as a suddenly single mom who gives handies at a happy endings massage parlor. It's real. I forgot all about it's that one. Great. It's great is a strong word. I loved it. Was that <laughs> after Ghost Whisperer? I don't remember when Ghost Whisperer was, but Client List was 2012 and 2013. It had two seasons. First okay. season is a lot better than the second one. But it's what's interesting about it in a way that I think is kind of exemplary of Lifetime is that it engages with sex work as a feminist issue, which is something that like mainstream television certainly isn't doing right now. And it does so in like a very frothy, you know, it doesn't delve very deep into the lives of sex workers, but it still portrays sex work as a viable middle class pursuit for an educated woman with like a mortgage to pay and kids to support. 
And I think that's, like, a really interesting choice that, like, wasn't talked about that much and has some continuing relevance. So how do they handle her motherhood? Because that's, like, a huge, huge, huge. I mean, she is a, a... hand job giver in secret, right? She right. works at, at a, like, quote-unquote legit massage parlor that, like, a select group of people, a.k.a. the client list, know gives this additional benefit to certain customers. Some of the masseuses, masseuses at the parlor are above board, above board and not giving handies. Some of them are dirty sluts and, like, having real sex. Like, there's a whole stripe of things. But how it handles her motherhood is, like, very... Carefully, like what I think is interesting about it is she certainly keeps the sex work very separate from her children, and right. because of that, she starts leading this double life, which I think is kind of a hallmark of all anti heroines. You know, that you look at like Nancy Botwin on Weeds or Carrie Matheson yeah. on Homeless, they're yeah. all living double lives, right? Like, that is a sort of premise of like morally ambiguous television. So, to do that with Jennifer Love Hewitt as like a, a divorced mother of two trying to support her kids in Texas, like I just think that's really interesting. And I think there's a lot of class implications yeah. to why that wasn't recognized by the critical establishment. It, I, I like to call it a blue collar weeds. <laughs> and it really is. In both of those series, there's a woman who's kind of forced by a tragedy out of heteronormative stability right. and transgresses like social and legal boundaries in order to support her children, which is a socially defensible need. So there's moral ambivalence, but, like, she's ultimately redeemable at the end um, because of her maternity, which is kind of, like, an interesting twist to things, too. Yeah, Yeah, that's so funny. I feel like that's been happening a lot. Danielle and I have been talking about this, actually, Mm -hmm. a lot in the context of, like... Shout out to Danielle, who we wish were drinking wine with us right now. Danielle! Clink, 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 clink. Danielle, I want to hang out. Um, we've been talking about a lot in the context of Kim Kardashian and like Amber Rose. Totes. So relevant. And like women body shaming each other and slut shaming each other. Like not cool, man. Not cool. Well, and the weird kind of intersections of like race and class. Totally. What is it when Jennifer Love Hewitt is like at least fictionally uh, like working class woman in Texas versus Kim Kardashian or like Amber Rose, who are, like, at least, like, coded minority, but also as part of this, like, totally very wealthy, like, celebrity world. P.S. Shout out to Amber Rose, who I love, who is, yeah. like, anti-slut and body shaming, like, yeah. all day, all the way, and, like, I just could not love her more for she's, it. I think she's fabulous. She's pretty rad. Like, they're fascinating, because they're both moms. Totally. They're facing a lot of the same issues, apart from race. And they're both, like, they're both super problematic. It's Mm -hmm. not like they're, like, you know, like, goody two-shoes, feminist heroes, like, point your kids to. No. They're making weird choices, Mm -hmm. and going for it, and being, like, kind of bizarrely thoughtful about it. Totally. They also, I agree with all of that, and I also think that they represent exactly the kind of woman, actually, that I'm interested to sort of within the galaxy of my lifetime piece, which is, like, who are we not taking seriously and why, you know? Like, who are we saying I'm not that kind of girl to? And, like, how does that designate us into camps that are ultimately divisive rather than inclusive? Um, That's, like of primary concern to me in yeah. life and work and professionalism under underline. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, generally. Generally, yeah. Yeah, I'm ready to hang out with 
Kim and Amber. Oh, totes. I, I would go to that brunch. Shout out to Kim and Amber. Yeah. <laughs> like, as soon as somebody starts doing things that, that you can interpret, they slide, backslide. Totally. In in my perception. Like, yeah, Amber Rose totally. has not changed at all. She is the exact same person she was. Like, she's a human. Absolutely. That, like, exists in the public eye and exists privately, but for, you know, for the public, we get this narrative where she, like, showed up in a lot of unitards, and that was pretty much our entire experience with her. Mm-hmm. She looked great. <laughs> That's about it. And then she kind of came out and was like, you know, calling out people for slut-shaming her. And did slut walk. Yeah. And, like, yeah, and published a book. Amazing. Became, like, a straight-up entrepreneur. Well, like, then, but also, you know, published a book that contains a lot of advice about, like, you should get as much money from men as possible. Sure. Like, sure. Like, sure. you know, there are things that you can argue are, like, by necessity, but it's definitely, like, a... So are the things that I would argue... So, yes, no, taking your give point. It, give it. But I would also say that the way we respond as a culture to a book like that from Amber Rose... Yeah. Is different than the way we might respond as a culture to a book by Lena Dunham. And, like, I think that there's some equally objectionable things about, like, Lena Dunham's viewpoint yeah. on the world. Those two things don't aren't mutually exclusive. You know, like, both of those things no. can be true. But I think it's... But I'm also, not, it's more like a, a Carrie Bradshaw kind of... Yeah. Like, how big is the gap there? Sure. How? Like, Sorry, like I more of a, like, the city's like, I was like, yeah, yeah, oh, it was what? More, it was more, like, some of the same problematic stuff. Sure, 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 definitely. Blind Minus spots. all of the, like, positive stuff. Totally, yeah. <laughs> I guess what I'm interested in is not, like, is Amber Rose's book good or feminist, or is Lena Dunham's book good or feminist, but, like, yeah. what, what are the common ways in which they are both body shamed, and what are the different ways in which they yeah. are both shamed, you know, and, like, I think there's there's strong answers to both of those questions that make them relevant figures to yeah. us and to professionalism. So when are you going to publish your nude selfies? Um, the world Dude, I was just talking end. about this. I have never sent a naked selfie in my oh. entire life. Me neither. Not once, because I'm so afraid of revenge porn, and yes. I was having a discussion the other day with a friend of mine who's like 26 who sends like naked selfies all the time and like I learned tons about them from her but (laughs) she was like she was like fuck it you know like fuck the patriarchy like I don't need to be shamed if like my naked selfies get out and if they get out they get out and like my friend who's like a privacy lawyer was like you should encrypt everything you 26 year old idiot like that is a poor life choice but I see her point you know like I fuck it like what does my naked body have to hide yeah at this point I'm like kind of just too lazy yeah I've been married for like a hundred thousand years yeah Yeah. it feels like a lot of work the ship has sailed yeah and I'm still afraid of revenge porn I'm sorry like I am it's not that I'm afraid that my husband god bless him is gonna like you know text pictures of me to the internet it's more that I'm it's the people who like hack into people's phones that scare the shit out of me it totally exists in the world part of me is like I want to just put them up. Like, just go full Kim K. Nobody wants to see yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, but, I want to see that, Kate. Oh, I want to see you. that. <laughs> um, well, maybe I'll just DM you. Perfect. Uh, and then I'll revenge for you. Oh, <laughs> oh cute. I remember my mom pounding into me, like, never let somebody take a picture. Like, no really? heroin, no cocaine. Really? My never let someone take a naked picture of you. About, do you think she had a bad experience with it? I don't know. I mean, I my mom 
like had weird things she was worried about. Oh, I, she would. My like, mom did too. Yeah, and I still don't know the origin of most of them. She'd sure. just be like, "Don't talk to men in vans," and I'd be like, "What the fuck?" Or I'd be like going out and I'd be like, "Hey, mom, I'm going to like a Ben Folds concert. Uh-huh. It's free in Atlanta," and she'd be like, "Not in a tank top, dear God!" Like, what? What are your triggers? You know I those Ben Folds know. concerts, oh, hotbeds of iniquity. Bad crowd. <laughs> Do you like how I just signaled exactly how late that was? Oh man, I can can run you piece for piece on on uh, how excellent. lame we were in high school. But oh, great. mom's spidey senses are real, and everybody's yeah. antenna are different. Yeah, My exactly. Mom and Guido were exactly. Too. But it's just like I wish I why why does that have to be like the most horrible thing to happen to you in the world? It's naked selfies yeah, getting it. Yeah, I mean that's a premise worth questioning. Yeah. I mean, it just, it just sucks because at the same time, I'm like, that shouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but it's impossible to publicly say that shouldn't be the worst thing in the world without it being heard by the yeah. shittiest people on earth. I'm as, sure. Then why are you making such a big deal about me looking well, at yeah, you? Yeah. And it's also horns. like believing that it shouldn't be the worst thing in the world also doesn't necessarily save you from the humiliation yeah. of it happening. And writes off the feelings of people who it's happened to. Uh, that too. Yeah, I was thinking about this because did I already ask you if you're watching the OJ show, American Crime Story? Oh, oh my god. I started watching Oh it. my god. I don't have TV. It revisits the story of Marsha Clark, undersung feminist hero, and... Yeah, and her amazing hair. And her amazing hair, and the fact that there were naked pictures of her leaked during the trial. Oh my god, I forgot her about that! Her ex-husband leaked naked pictures of her to the tabloids <sighs> as the trial was ongoing, and, like, imagine the humiliation, you know? Like, she's, like, this person who's worked in obscurity her entire life, just wants to, like, try cases, and all of a sudden she's, like, at the center of this media shitstorm, but it's, like... That's how we under. That's how our culture undermines women's power, right? Is through yeah. sexual humiliation, and and it's true that as as long as we continue to consent to a system that affords us that humiliation, we're going to continue to suffer it. But it's like a s- systemic change kind of thing. That kind of goes beyond naked pictures because I've avoided mm-hmm. that pitfall. Um, but you know, everybody, you have lots of things that are embarrassing because For sure. you were in your twenties once, mm-hmm. like as a human, yeah. if you're in your twenties and you're doing it right, you do humiliating shit. Correct. And you dated people who probably Oof. don't like you. I know yeah. I dated people mm-hmm. who probably don't like me. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I dated people who deny ever having dated me. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's like the best case scenario, right? <laughs> in some ways, in some ways. <laughs> that's weird. They're probably leaking like revenge porn pictures of me on the internet right yeah. now. Yeah. But it's like, as a woman, it's it's a weird, scary thing because, like, at least I feel a reticence about any kind of fame or notoriety. Sure. Like, I want to do really well at my job, but I part of what attracts me to being a lawyer, instead of, say, a writer or a journalist, is that, like... Who are known for their fame. <laughs> Writers fame. and journalists. Drowning in fame at all times. Well, this is why I ended my, like, very lucrative... Yes. Uh, like, accordion career. Yeah. Not also, sure. also, yeah. people dogged by the spotlight. Yeah, accordion by the spotlight. But, yeah, but, like, lawyers are definitely... Yeah. Like, under the radar. For Nobody sure. gives a shit. Sure. Who, who They're the not public like, personalities. Yeah, we're not yeah. doing any profiles on the lawyers. Mm-hmm. Except for fucking Marsha Clark. That's, that's what she was doing, and it caught up with her. This and, is what I'm saying. You know? Even and if like, you don't consent to it, you yeah, can be thrust exactly. into it. it. And it feels like, um, you know, 
it's a gendered threat. And there's another layer on that when you have a kid. Mm-hmm. Because right. even though what I did in my 20s has nothing to, and I'm making it sound like I, like, I know what you did last summer. There are no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's she burned them. no, <laughs> in an oil drum, it's in the gold. Breaking bad don't style. Don't worry. It's gone. Already, don't worry about it, sweetie. Uh, <laughs> they're all dead now. Um, but no, but like, even just low level embarrassing shit, like, mm-hmm. who wants who wants their, like, exes or their grumpy ex-housemates? Oh, I don't like, want to have a conversation about, like, my drug history in my 20s yeah. with my child or future children. No, like, yeah, not good. No. Not good. And, and it's, it sucks, but I feel like it's a unique, uniquely threatening to mothers. Mm-hmm. Totally. Like, Dads well, can get away with a lot of, like, Hemingway-ass bullshit. Oh, for sure. Because dads can leave, right? Yeah. Like, women don't, for the most part, don't leave because yeah. they are the foundation of those social yeah. structures. And if you do leave, like, you don't And if back. you do leave, you're a pariah. Yeah. You know, like, you're ostracized. Yeah, I have, I have a lot of thoughts about the ways mothers, in particular, are shamed. And I think, like, a lot of it just comes down to some, like, really dirty Madonna horseshit. Like, yeah. I, I think that... <clears throat> permitting mothers to be sexual or even permitting mothers to be like complex in yeah. our society is yeah. really verboten. And like, I don't know. I I've, I've been studying sex work in various ways recently. And like, it, it's so disturbing both how sex work at large has been like ghettoized within the feminist movement, but also like specifically how many people have lost their jobs because of sex work past or present. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. and like, People who did one thing or did 10 things or did 500 things, it shouldn't matter in their early 20s to have money because they were broke or for whatever reasons they wanted to and then moved on with their lives to become kindergarten teachers or paralegals or whatever, have families, move on, and then this thing comes up from their past and, like, they're ritually shamed in, like, a like a stripping you of your assets way, you know, like you don't deserve to have power in our society because you made this choice. Like that's, it's just like, it's really disturbing. Which is especially (laughs) hilarious when people were kind of pushed into it for economic reasons. Yeah, totally. And then have their economic Mm -hmm. resources Mm -hmm. taken from them. That works out. How did they handle, um, Jennifer Love Hewitt's handies? Oh. Was she was just like was she just she, like so, professional? Yes. So like, what's interesting about the show and like what's ultimately Tell kind me of about also her facial expressions. She has so many facial expressions. She has like one of those faces that like can do anything. Like she mm-hmm. she just she's so disgustingly like relatable and charismatic and like likable in this central role. And I think there's a lot that's relatable about like just the sort of like early thirties milieu it presents too it's like yeah. people who are sort of overwhelmed by their responsibilities as any young parent is yeah. How did I get here? <laughs> yeah exactly and then like her husband leaves and she's trying to support everybody and like it's chaos but what's interesting is that she falls into this like massage path and I think what she ultimately finds compelling about the job isn't the handies but like she 
plays this sort of like mock therapist role with her mm. clients and it's very like unpaid emotional labor type thing but like this is presented as her sort of like secret skill like special sauce like the thing that makes Carrie Matheson an amazing CIA agent is like Jennifer Love Hewitt talking to a naked guy on a greasy massage <laughs> <laughs> table so she like gives them handies but also like solves their relationship problems and like they come back and tell her how much they appreciate like the advice that she gave them about their girlfriends and like it's absurd like it's ridiculous it's so maternal it's super maternal yeah she's madonna whoring like all over the place it's it's very also it's in such a fantasy land that like every single guy who comes in is like gorgeous chiseled abs like <laughs> no older than 45 like, you know like it's a yeah, it's a fantasy I don't think those guys are actually paying for as many no as no, like no they're not but they're on the client list yeah so another interesting one to watch on lifetime is army wives which is like a very similar like blue collar kind of thing i've heard great things about army wives. so army wives was really interesting to me because only very certain of my friends and my sort of like liberal elite hyper-educated coastal existence watched it but it was very popular in my home state of minnesota and i remember like a lot of family chatter about army wives my mom loved it obviously and like everything you need to know is in the title it's like women military spouses living on a base fictional base in south carolina but like it goes through like really real issues you know like there's someone dealing with ptsd there's a woman who's acting as a pregnancy surrogate, like, to support her family because her husband doesn't make enough money in the military. Like, it's, there's, like, some real issues at play. And then there's also, like, <laughs> the chick who works at the bar that's known around the base for being, like, where you go to cheat on your deployed spouse. <laughs> like, but the, there's just... There, it's another It's another show that's very escapist but about which there's a lot to appreciate if you don't look at it from a way that's like implicitly condescending and classist yeah like if you, if you just think about it as like these are women having a conversation totally about relationships totally on yeah primetime television totally yeah and I, I think that like female solidarity is like what i like most about lifetime content like lifetime content is not escapist in the sense of like the bachelor right where like yeah. a woman is running away with a man in the end it's escapist in the sense of like <clears throat> I don't know. I think I think it's escapist in all different ways, but I think that oftentimes there are homosocial female relationships at the center, and that calling it escapist also presents an interesting question of who's watching it and what they're looking to escape. Yeah. You know, like this is yeah. content produced for people who, like, a have a lot of time during the day, b have circumstances in life that they might not want to think about all the time, c might want to see females at the center of like a series or movie. Like, it, once you start to think about those as priorities, like, there's just a lot of interesting stuff there. I think. <clears throat> Did you dig into the movies as well? Mm-hmm. Like the ever popular Def. Uh oh, Mother Mother May I Sleep with Danger, Danger, the cult classic. Yes. Yes. Yes, Kate. Yes, I did. Can <laughs> watch it? Uh, we should watch it. Can we take a moment for yes. this is I feel like this is the equivalent of like reading for the first time about the libraries of Alexandria and being like, oh my god, there's like 5,000 Plato scrolls that just don't survive. Like, what if we can find them in Herculaneum? I'm so into this metaphor. This is how I feel about 
Kirsten Dunst's... 15 and Pregnant. It feels like the the movies have kind of a different vibe from the more... Like, the well, the series shows. that we've been talking the about, series, yeah, are newer, are newer. The movies, there's a lot to say there. So one thing I would say about the movies is that I think that they are what most people think of when they think of Lifetime. Like, Lifetime right. movies have been, like, really definitional to their brand. But I think that there's a couple things about how definitional movies have been to their brand that are complicated and worth discussing. One of them is that Lifetime actually has picked up a lot. Lifetime has produced about 300 original films in their 30-year history that were produced by Lifetime. They've also cherry-picked and syndicated a whole bunch of films from other networks, which is like an arcane media studies detail. But what's interesting to me about it is that when I was doing this research, films like Mother May I Sleep With Danger, films like Friends Till the End, starring starring Shannon Doherty, which is my personal favorite, like The Babysitter's Seduction, starring Carrie Russell, and, like, a lot of these films that, like, pop up over and over again on, like, ten Lifetime movies we love to hate watch, like, stupid lists. Mm -hmm. None of these were originally made by Lifetime. They're all made by mostly major networks, NBC, ABC, etc. Interesting. So Lifetime basically, like, did a really good job cultivating its brand through syndication so well that, like, when I was doing this research, like, n- no place mentioned that these were not originally Lifetime so movies. Were, like, okay. no one is making the distinction. So, The Babysitter Seduction originally aired on broadcast. I think on NBC. Yeah, it was definitely not on Lifetime. It was syndicated by Lifetime. That's right. Yeah, which is, like, a weird detail because, like, who cares? But I just think it's interesting in terms of the amount of critical attention that's been paid to this, that, like, no one has bothered to source where these movies were actually made and who's responsible for them. (laughs) So, like, I think Lifetime is, like, happy enough to be known for them at this point because it's been an image they've been able to capitalize on and then, like, subvert later. But it's just interesting. And we were talking about how Lifetime has a surprising number of, or percentage of female directors... So this this was, like, the single most interesting thing about the research that I did. So Lifetime last year launched an initiative called Broad Focus, which is a partnership with a bunch of different, like, sort of women-oriented organizations, and they just want to create more jobs for women in film, which is, like, awesome. Fucking thank God someone is doing it. <clears throat> and attendant to Broad Focus, they started doing some internal research on their own numbers and found that, like, in 2015, their top five films were directed by women by ratings and, like... 42% of their films overall had been directed by women, which are, like, really striking figures, considering that, like, I think the last figure I read for what percentage of films in Hollywood are directed by women is, like, 9%, and I think it's probably more, like, 4%. You know, like, it's Thanks, absurd. Hollywood. Thanks, Hollywood. <clears throat> so, those numbers made me curious, and I started investigating how many of the 300-ish original films from 1994 to the present had been directed by women, and those were numbers that Lifetime didn't have, so I hired an intern and <laughs> got her an MDB, IMDb, and we just did it. And we some of the top-line findings were that we found 70%, 70% of Lifetime movies from 1994 to 2016 were written or directed by a woman, which is fucking crazy like that is such a bonkers ass like outer space number for hollywood right now granted it's cumulative i'm saying written or directed so like including yeah but that's still like a separate but it's a crazy thing and then when you start to break them down either more or more than that it's like 65 percent of lifetime movies made in the 19 or in the 2010s were written by a woman or like 23 percent of lifetime movies 
in the 90s were directed by a woman. You know, like, just crazy, crazy fucking numbers. So those numbers were very intriguing to me, and I think they should be to other people, too, frankly. (laughs) Get on it, world. Get on it, world. (laughs) Shout out, world. (laughs) So another thing I wanted to talk to you about was your L article, which was what I read that first made me think, like, oh, yes. Oh, yes, she will be mine. <laughs> and then I cackled a lot, and then Artie was like, you're weird, give me a cracker. Um, well, I liked what you were calling it before we started recording, which was, like, the young old mom. Yeah. Like, and, and I guess I should preface this by saying that I made a deliberate rhetorical choice in comparing myself to teen mothers that some people found disrespectful to teen mothers themselves certainly intended no disrespect <laughs> and and I, and I think it is a provocative rhetorical choice that I use to make myself look ridiculous right like it is ridiculous for an educated white woman who is married and 32 to compare herself to the circumstances of a teen mom and but, you state that you state that in the article absolutely and what I was going to say is that like my point is that motherhood reduces us to the most vulnerable broken transitional like parts of ourselves right and and that there's so much about pregnancy too that is quite literally like a return to adolescence like a return to acne and oh. hormonal like crying rages and like weird growth spurts and, and your like body doing your body you becoming understand. something foreign to you and like yeah and then there's a lot about motherhood that like strips you down to your studs and like remakes you in that same way so I'm disclaiming that I do recognize <laughs> that my circumstances are different than those of actual teen mothers, but at the same time, I think mothers motherhood makes teenagers of us all. Yeah. Well, and the the weird position that you're in, and I kind of found myself in in DC, which is being kind of the first that's it yeah first of your social group right like being in your early 30s and yet being the first in your social group to have Mm -hmm. a kid i literally had two friends who had kids when i got pregnant and they were both about five years older than me and so were the so were their kids so like they were friends close friends but not peers right and and yeah i was very much the first person in my peer group to get knocked up like <clears throat> I got knocked up like semi accidentally. Like some of my friends get mad at get mad at me when I describe it as an accident because like <laughs> I obviously went off the pill and like should have a basic comprehension of reproductive functions. That's another teen mom like thing. You're an idiot. Correct. <laughs> that is correct. And horny like it, a, a horny, horny idiot because that's what happens <laughs> when you've been on the pill for like ten years and then you go off it. Mm. It's like hormonally unmedicated body like just want to fuck. <laughs> Uh, so that happened and then baby happened and it just, I, I qualify all this to say that the whole situation quite took me by surprise and mine was not a journey of like taking the temperature to measure ovulation day by day. Mine was like a reckless abandonment of birth control and then like ensuing surprising fertility. (laughs) So very teenage, very teenage. Yeah, fertility is like weird and terrifying. Weird and terrifying. Like, I don't know. And I've talked to other friends who are like this, where we just kind of assumed, like I've talked to friends who are now dealing with IVF mm-hmm. and, like, considering adoption, who were totally. like, I just never imagined it would be, be this hard, mm-hmm. which is a story I think I hear a lot. And mm-hmm. then a story I hear a lot is 
your story and my story where right. it's like, like I went oh off my the pill. god I thought it was going to take <laughs> six to nine months yes. and it took like two to six weeks <laughs> we thought it was going to take like yeah. six months I was like my great aunt died life is short Yep. Get yep. crazy. Yep. And um, and we got crazy. That is exactly how romantic it was. Actually, I scared the shit out of my husband. Marriage. Marriage. Like, ah, <laughs> like, this is a bad idea. That's where babies come from, yeah. listeners. And then, like three weeks later, he was like, "I told you that was a bad idea." Mm-hmm. Now you don't get to drink on vacation, dumb dumb. Yeah. Yep. But it's real. Know, it it's out. real. Yeah. Now we have these cute monster babies. So cute, so monstrous. So that was something that I wanted to talk about. Was that like I feel like Artie is Jed's first friend, like yeah. first person that he has like independently expressed a preference for, or I have seen react. Yeah, you know, like I've seen him react to Artie in, in a different way than I. And that's like the most magical, it's crazy, enchanting right? thing in the world. Yeah, it's adorable. It's really fascinating, and it's like it's making me really happy. To, like, I can see the long term of it being really interesting to have a son. Mm-hmm. And be like, how do male friendships work? This totally. What do boys talk about at sleepovers? Yeah, exactly. Something I've always wondered. I just, you know, like, I, I know a lot of men that I really love right now, but mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of male friends. Like, my oldest male friend is, like, we have this really awesome, hey Tim, shout out to like your awesome swoop bangs and braces from swoop. 1996. Um, mm-hmm. But I didn't know him like as a child and I don't know anybody I knew as a child yeah. as an adult. So it's really hard to yeah, connect yeah. like you're, you're figuring out friendship now. Totally. Figuring out totally. Like, masculinity now. You don't know it yet. Right. But you're getting there and you're going to be an adult. I'm gonna see that shit go down. Shit is and gonna, it's gonna go gonna down. Be fucking crazy. No, my biggest nightmare is like, and I wonder how this is gonna work out in like the cell phone era. But like, <clears throat> having to watch my son like ignore calls from girls or like, I, I don't imagine that I'm going to raise a child or a son who treats girls badly. But like, you know, the way that like teenage girls are like dissecting every word that's coming out of their stupid mouths yeah. and like, teenage boys are sitting there like picking their butts, you know, like <laughs> Jen and Artie are going to be like sitting there picking their butts together. And we're going to be like, why are you going to be like, yeah, do you like her or not? <laughs> like, why didn't you send her the thing? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Prom is important. I know. Or, or him or him. Or him. him. Is okay true. Too. True. That's great. Yeah. I like, they? I have no idea what a teenage boy is like other than like an opaque nightmare what's gonna happen we're gonna learn it but also at that point they're gonna be old enough that we can go out and drink after they have left the house to go drink (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say after they've gone to bed but then I realized that we will not be going to bed after them at that point in their lives (laughs) I mean I just wanna let make sure Artie knows like I will wait up I'm that asshole oh you're gonna be that mom oh I had that mom I I had that mom I don't know if I can I I fall asleep on the couch at like 9 I fall asleep too but I'll like rig up some kind of like bell on the door oh this is good do you believe in curfews what's your relationship to curfews I believe in curfews you do okay Tell me your reasoning. This is lawyerly of you. Um, well, I feel like Artie's going to look this up and he's going to be like, now I know all your tricks. But I feel like you need, like, a structure as a teenager. Agreed. And I think that, like, your parents being, like, 
I need you to be home because I need you in my life at a specific time. Sure, because I care enough to give you that boundary. Exactly. Fair enough. Even if you, and I, like, I don't know. Like, our kids are growing up in San Francisco. They're probably all going to be methodists by age seven. It's terrifying, right? (laughs) Horrible. Not meth. There, it's the no, city. The this city. This is not a meth city. That's not true. a meth city. I grew up in a meth city. I know what that looks like. <laughs> yeah, I've spent, um, I've spent some, some times, some times around people who've made bad, yeah, bad meth decisions. I, I have too. That will not be our kids. But no. point taken. My relationship to curfews is that an interesting note about who I was as a teenager that I didn't think to reflect upon until later is that, like, I would fight, like, my mom was totally a curfews mom, and she was, like, an 11 o'clock does not mean 11.02 mom, too. Like, she would be sitting up watching, like, the seconds tick by. But, um, so I would fight tooth and nail to, like, extend the metaphor, or, metaphor, extend (laughs) the, the curfew to midnight, but, like, I would be home at the appointed hour, like, either, like, I wasn't gonna just blow off the curfew, which is interesting and, like, it tells you a lot about, like, my relationship to power, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but I would also manage to get all of the things done before 11 that a teenager might need to get done in the yeah. course of leading a double life secret from her parents. So, yeah. so my impression from my personal history was that curfews were not a very effective way to decrease risky behavior. I, yeah, I <clears throat> But that isn't necessarily an argument for discounting them entirely either. You can't expect this curfew to do all the work. No, you can't. Um, you also have to be able to smell pot on your children, and you that I can do. To. That you I can do. To. I can tell you that. I like. I can't, but I know my husband can. Mm-hmm. Like he, I can come in, and he's like, "Oh, you stopped at the coffee shop. Cool. Did you bring me anything?" Oh, <laughs> like he's, he's got, amazing. That's his. And my sense. mother was like that too. Like she, I would come. Oh, home. see, my mom was a smoker for too many years. Her sense of smell is shit. Oh, she's I mean, none. my mom, I would come home, and she'd be like. Kate, I told you not to stop at Waffle House. <laughs> you were supposed to go straight from debate practice and home. Spidey sense. She, she, like, it wasn't. It was just like she could literally smell it on she me. Just, yeah. I had a Kahlua-flavored coffee colada. <laughs> <laughs> after, like... A delicious choice. More, more windows into my high school self. After a um, Fair Readers Ace... Ska show yep. at the American Legion in yep. Fayetteville, Georgia. This was the early 2000s or late 90s? This was late 90s. Yeah. Um, yeah, in the late 90s. And I got home and my mom smelled, which she thought was glue on my breath. And oh my it God. led to like a huge, oh no. like it was bad. Oh I was no. like, You're like, why don't I, you believe me? I didn't have to be born. Like, <laughs> That is like the trump card in I every love, parent-child I fight. Like, there's totally a story of my mom and my grandfather fight, a fight that there's culminating in her like running to the end of the driveway and screaming that it's a classic. It's, it's, it's a, a classic. classic. If Artie Someday, Artie in general, I'll consider myself a failure as a parent. I would probably do some hard thinking about that. Yeah, he because he didn't. You know, he didn't. Well, we'll think about that when it happens. Check back in 15 years. Check back listeners. in 15 years, listeners. <laughs> We'll be here. We'll be here. Our kids will be high. (laughs) Somewhere. God. Yeah, well, like, I was a really goody two-shoes, so... I was up until a point. I would say in, like, the last 18 months of high school, like, everything unraveled of my goody goody two-shoeness. I was good up to my senior year. That's right. And then I was like, oh, I can date instead of being on the debate team. 
Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. kind of all fell to shit. Mm-hmm. I don't, I have no idea what these children, like what their lives are going to be like as teenagers. Cause my I wonder that all the time. Prepared. Like my mom definitely never expe- like expected in a million. Like when I first told her that I'd had sex during high school. You she, told her? In, in like college. Okay. But like still, that's college. significant that you guys yeah, had have, that conversation. Yeah, generally like a, a year and a half cycle. Like that's healthy. I, I would say really that's good parenting. Yeah, Like good, shout right? out Kate's mom. Yeah. A year and a half later, I can kind of talk to her about it. And when I finally Fair. was like, yeah, I had sex with my idiot boyfriend that you thought was a bad idea and referred to as the Hitler youth. <laughs> she was just like, she was, she just couldn't believe it. Whereas like I talked to my, and my dad was like, oh yeah, I always assumed you guys were, you know, getting up to stuff. <laughs> but, like my dad gave me a drug talk in sixth grade where he was like, you know, just so you know, try a little bit. Cause I think your mom has a very sensitive system <laughs> and you probably do too. And I was sitting there. I was like, that's I, good advice. I still unironically play with my little pony. It's like, I don't know what the <laughs> fuck to do with this. I potty trained like yesterday. Yeah, we were <laughs> the Italian oven. I was just trying to eat these zucchini fritters. It was really This intense. is vivid. This is vivid in it, your I, mind. Like, I you remember the zucchini fritters. there right now. That's amazing. I remember the like high schooler who was our our uh, waitress being like, what the fuck is your dad There's doing? There's a talk You're happening. You're a fetus. <laughs> it was really intense. <gasps> That's amazing. It was really intense. I don't think my parents had a drug talk with me. I don't think they, yeah. Well, there you go. That's, that explains it. (laughs) Two paths diverged in the woods. It's true. And Laura got high. (laughs) Fact. (laughs) I will confirm that on air. Uh, Yes, correct. But, uh, yeah, my parents, I think are just, they're just from a, a culturally conservative place where like, I'm sure like the possibility of my like smoking pot occurred to them and, and then, you know, became a reality. But, like, I'm sure the idea of my doing hard drugs or something in high school, which yeah. I absolutely did not, you yeah. know, like, didn't even occur to them. Like, that that was yeah. not a talk that they had planned ahead for having. I mean, my mom was terrified that We're going to have to plan ahead for that talk. Oh, my God. <laughs> the, like, hard drugs oh talk. I'm not I ready. can't. I'm not like, ready. I'm not prepared for the universe San Francisco that they're dropping into. Yeah. I, I feel like what we're circling or both circling around here which I think is also like a theme of our friendship is like culturally intersectional positions right of like having chosen to raise kids in an environment that's different than where you were raised you know both like I was raised in the suburbs like here I am living in a big city like I was raised in the midwest here I am in California like there's a lot of like conflicts and intersections entailed within that and there's parts of parenting that have made me really homesick, you know, that have made me homesick for, like, a a mode of family making that, like, I understand or is, like, more intuitive to me. Like, there's a lot of stuff about, quote, what I'm gonna call broadly, like, quote-unquote San Francisco parenting that feels, like, really alien to me. Like, I was raised by very old-school parents, and so this whole, like, let's talk about our feelings thing, like, (laughs) not super foreign to me, very foreign to my husband. I'll throw him right under that bus. Like, very foreign. (laughs) Both of us come from, like, very repressed Catholic places. Like, that shit is deep. Yeah. Yeah, I, like, I have a little bit of an edge because my parents were, like, dropped into completely alien places like my mm-hmm. mom can grew up in the suburbs in ohio so she could kind of roll with peace tree city kind mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. um but my dad's from like outside boston he's like born and raised mm-hmm. and like he'd come to visit in georgia and just be like what the 
fuck is this? Uh-huh. I have no idea. Interesting. Um, and to be clear, like, I love you, Dad. You are, like, my parents are two of my best friends mm-hmm. in the entire world. Like, they are awesome parents, and I would be really fucked up without them. Mm-hmm. Dad may not have done the greatest <laughs> transition. Sure. Not the, like, it was not seamless. Sure. Sure. Um, Parents are human. Exactly. Parents are human. And yet still, I'm here, right? Here you are, with your very own podcast. My very own podcast. Fuck and we yeah. have, like, we actually have, like, a really great relationship. And I kind of think if he had, like, done all the dad <clears> stuff <throat> right, mm-hmm. we probably wouldn't be there. So there is, like, a lot of comfort in, like, having parents who fucked up a little mm-hmm. and still being okay. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Like, I feel like I get a lot from having been really angry with my dad and having just no anger there left. Sure. Like, that's a huge That's what happens gift. when you exercise anger, right? The, yeah, like, exactly. The working through it. I mean, shit. sometimes. Sometimes. And then you have those friends who are like... <clears throat> Can't believe my dad didn't congratulate. Right. right. And you're like, it was in 1997. <laughs> Live with it. Right. It's true. Yep. It's true. It's the whole thing. Forgiving your parents. It's the work. What is it? I think though, usually at this point in a conversation, I will need to refer to the work of Cheryl Strayed at some point. <laughs> but uh, please, I think she says something about like you have to forgive your parents by the time you're 30. It's not. It's not quite as like blunt as that. It's something about like. The work of your 20s is, like, figuring out how your parents fucked you up, and then, like, the work of your 30s is, like, not blaming them for it anymore, and, like, doing the work yourself. I'm, I'm, like, stating that inelegantly, but, like, I think there's some truth to that. Yeah. There's a a time in life where, like, the value you need to achieve is figuring out how you are fucked up and how you got that way, (laughs) and then there's a period of life where you have to kind of, like, regenerate that. Yeah, because it's gonna be, it's gonna be really hard trying to figure out how... Parent in this environment, like yeah, we're gonna. Fuck it up really scares me. Oh my god, I fuck up like every day, over yeah. and over. And I was over. such a bitch yesterday. I was like, I I don't know what it was. Like I told you yesterday, Jen, the kid didn't nap. It's daylight savings. Oh I think it just like stole an hour scourge. of sleep for me. It's it just stole an hour. I woke up feeling hungover, and I had not had a drink the day before. I was like, fuck this shit. I used to be sixteen. And <laughs> and I was just like black cloud. I was just like black cloud Laura yesterday, and I was like exasperated and short tempered, and I was just like a bitch. And then like at the end of the day, my husband was like, "Why were you such?" He didn't say this, but he was like, "You were kind of short tempered and exasperated today." And I just like felt terrible and burst into tears and felt like the worst mom in the world. And like that was Sunday. Yeah. And pie. I also ate a lot of really good pie. Yeah. I mean, pie shout delicious. out pie day. But um. But yeah, we are imperfect, messy humans. That is yeah. what parents are. Yeah. It's important to recognize ourselves that way. Yeah, and just hope that your own kid will hopefully <sighs> forgive you at, at least the hey same. Man. He was hardy days. enough to make it here through my first three to six weeks of not having any idea I was pregnant and all of the things that you know <laughs> were going on when I didn't know I was pregnant. So I think yeah. he's got a hardy spirit in him. They're going to they're gonna be fine. They're already monsters. They're already and they're already huge. So cute. It's just really so cute. cute. Alright, so okay. on that beautiful note, thank you so much for talking to us. I am so excited to read about these lifetime movies. Oh my god, and watch. And, and watch them. women being women, mm-hmm. moms figuring out mom. That's right. 
And um, I have a feeling that we'll have you back again. I hope so. All right. Night, mamas. Go ahead, mamas. Wasn't that an awesome show? My gosh, Laura's so epic. Um, if you want to check out more about what Laura's got going on, um, go visit her cool website. It's www.lauragoodgoode.com. Or you can follow her on Twitter at Laura Good, spelled the same way. And definitely just keep up with all the awesome things that she's writing about. They'll definitely push you and make you think differently about kind of the generic things or the way we see ourselves as mothers. So enjoy. And as always, if you have suggestions for us at go ahead mama you can email us at let's talk mamacita at gmail.com or send us a tweet or a facebook message at go ahead mama